Good morning. I want to greet each one in Christ's name this morning. I uh, am still getting over a bad head cold, and so I am a bit feeling a bit cloudy this morning. With the Lord's help, I, my prayer is that I will have a message that makes sense and can challenge you. The question I wanted to start out this morning with is this. Does God love you? I think it was about three years ago I had a message um, on the attribute, God's attribute of love. What I want to look at this morning, do you believe that God truly loves you this morning? Is that something you struggle with? It's easy for us just to give a flippant answer to that, I think, for myself too. We grew up in a church, and of course God loves us, right? But if we just stop, think and give it a serious thought this morning, when things are going rough, do we still believe that? When we're in some dark moment, mentally, do we truly believe it? We can go to a number of different Bible passages, and I'll go to a few of those this morning, where it says God loves us. But I'm hoping through this message, when you, when you come away from this message, you can believe it more so than when you started today. But what does it mean for God that God loves us? How much does he love us? We know in a world that we live I don't think it, I think it's probably worse today than it has been at sometimes in the past, but I'm sure there's been other times in history where it's similar, where the people around you, there tends to not be as much love as maybe what there should be, or if we were more of a Christian culture than we are today. But it is, tends to be thrown around very loosely. People will say it often because they know they ought to or just because they want something from us. And so, well, I love you, hoping that we'll return something to them. I don't remember the first time my parents told me they loved me. I'm sure I heard it from the cradle just by their actions and hearing it later in my life. But maybe you remember the first time your parents told you that they loved you. But then through their actions, you either felt like that was confirmed or maybe you doubted whether they truly loved you. For those of you who are married, think back to when you were dating. Can you remember the first time you told your girlfriend, boyfriend that you loved them? Now, if you said it on the first or second or third date, you may have been a little premature in that love, right? But if you waited until you knew that you really loved them I'm assuming that you thought about it 
you made sure that you really did love them. I'm guessing that if you held out until you really were sure, that that mean that when you said it, it came off your lips. Almost, it was scary to say, right? It, it was. It there was something to it. It held a lot of significance. Well, God doesn't just love us a little bit as someone who's trying to get something out of us. But it's a deep, abiding love. Turn with me, Psalms chapter 86. Psalms 86, verse 15. But thou, O God, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. As you look through the King James Bible, it depends what translations you're looking at, but if you're looking through the King James Bible, it doesn't always use the word love. Sometimes it uses the word like here, compassion or mercy. If you go to Psalms 136, that's where it says something that God did, and then it says his mercy endureth forever. I still remember when I was a teenager, one of the preachers here, ministers here, preached a sermon and went through that and had the church read back the mercy endureth forever part. It just still sticks with me. Why Why was that psalm written that way? It was showing God's love through his action for the children of Israel. And so God has love. He has compassion for us. Do we feel that? Do we grasp that in our lives? Turn with me to the next passage, Romans chapter 5. So we have both many passages in the Old Testament and in the New Testament speaking of God's love. You can debate whether the Old Testament, a lot of times those verses, I think, were directed towards the Jews. And Gentiles may have questioned whether the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, whether they, that God truly loved them. But we as believers now, in the church age, I think fully understand that God did love every person, even though it was definitely directed towards the Jewish people. But here in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man with one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, Much more being reconciled, 
we shall be saved by his life. God loves us. Do we feel that? I hope we do. And how do we know it? Because he sent his son. What greater indication of love is that? You may have, you, you probably saw the title there at the beginning, Song of Song, Songs, or um, as we have it in our King James Bible, Song of Solomon is a passage I'm going to look at this morning that may scare you. I'm not going to read anything inappropriate. I'm not going to touch on any subjects not appropriate here for all ages. But last year in Sunday school, we looked at Song of Solomon a couple of Sundays. And the question came to my mind, and so that's really where this message is going this morning. It crossed my mind. I think as, as, well, as believers, as Christians, I've always heard that Song of Solomon is a love story between God and his people, the Jewish people. And I'm thinking, well, that makes sense from a Christian mindset, but what do the Jewish people think? And so that's, what, that's where I went with this study this morning. Is that how they view it? Do they view it that Song of Solomon is not only probably a true story that took place in the Old Testament, but does it actually, do they see the significance of it? And so that's what I want to dive in to this morning. I only looked at a couple of different sources online, a couple of different Jewish websites. And as I heard, once heard said, that if you have two Jews, you will have three opinions. I don't know if you ever heard something to that idea. And it's not putting them down. It's just, this was said by a Jew to explain that they have lots of opinions. And so understand that you could probably go online and find stuff that would contradict what I'm going to say this morning. But the, the source I found seemed to be very knowledgeable and very clear on what he felt the Jewish people view this book. But to lay a foundation this morning, yes, in the Hebrew Bible, it's not called Song of Solomon, it's called Song of Songs. And it's found in the third and last section of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And so this morning, I'm going to try to make sense of it. You have three parts the first part being the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law, the Pentateuch. So it, Song of Solomon is not found in the law, obviously. The second five book group of books, the five books, are the Nevi'im. And the reason I'm putting up here on the screen is so you can read it for yourself, because I don't read Hebrew. Um, but it's the prophets that you find in the Old Testament. Daniel would be one of those. I believe Isaiah and Jeremiah would be a couple of those. The prophets. And then you have the Ketuvim, which are the rest of the scriptures of the Old Testament. And so the Jewish people would look at each of these groups of books differently. The law is definitely at the top. It has the most importance. 
I believe they would say, you know, if you don't know anything of the Bible, you, but you've got to know the Torah because it's the law. It tells you how to live. And so they would hold that very high up. But one thing I found interesting that I did not know before I began this study was that within the Ketuvim are five books um, that are part of the, the, the group of five books are called the Megalas. And you look at those books and you may say, well, what do they have to do with the, each other? And um, I don't know. I didn't really find any answers to why these five are put together. But the interesting thing is that every year on certain holidays, Jewish holidays, they will read a certain book. And so these five books probably don't get read entirely, but portions of them get read in a synagogue every year. And I found that interesting, especially when you think about um, Esther, Ruth, and Song of Songs are all, I guess you would say, less, they don't, they don't seem as much as about scripture as more as just storytelling, love, a love story. And so it's, it was interesting to see that. So as we go through, we're going to look at each one of these. Esther is, writ, is read on the holiday of Purim, which makes sense. That's when the Jewish people thank God for their deliverance from their enemies. Lamentations is read on, and I'm going to mess this one up, Tisha B'Av. And that is the holiday mourning the loss of the first and second temp, temple. So it makes sense that it's a lament, it's a cry, it's a sorrowing. Ruth is read on Shavuot. And this is one, a holiday that I really had not really heard of before. Um, but this holiday is when they celebrate the gift of the Torah, the giving of the commandments of God. So they, they would always think about Mount Sinai with that. A comment in the article I was reading gave this contrast from a, so from a Jewish viewpoint. And this Jew was viewing it as an irony that they would read Ruth on the celebration of the Torah. They would look at it that Ruth chose to follow the Torah. Ruth chose to follow the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he viewed it as that the Jews coming out of Egypt had no choice. God had brought them out of Egypt basically by force and brought them to Mount Sinai by force. And they were forced to accept God's law. I, I as a Christian, don't look at it as that way. I view that they did have a choice. They may have been compelled, but they still had a choice. Ecclesiastes is then read on Sukkot. That one was familiar to me, but I had to go and read and make sure I remembered. That is the, the holiday of the booths or the huts, when they actually, those that are very orthodox would go out and live outside their home in a booth or hut. It's a time when they remember their, they have sorrow for their sins. Song of Solomon now, the one that we're looking at today, is read on Shabbat, which is Sabbath, during the week of the Passover. The, the Jewish writer said that it's elusive. There's an elusive 
connection between this book and the Passover. But when I was studying this yesterday, there was a light bulb moment. What connection could there be between the Song of Songs, which is about God's love for his people, the Jewish people, and the Passover? Anybody want to venture to say what that is? What is the most incredible way to show your love for your people than to send your son to die for your people? I, to me, that was just like, to, as a Christian, these are probably one of these things that when a Jewish person comes to Christ, that these things start to make more sense. To this Jewish person, he knows that they've always done it. They've always read Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, during the Passover week, but it just doesn't make much sense to them. I will dig into later as we look at Song of Songs and how the Jews look at it today when they're reading it, how many Jewish biblical uh, studies that have dug into it will connect it to the Exodus, and so it makes sense for them to read it during the Passover A lot of what I found today, um, I found on a website, if you want to go look at it, it's very fascinating, myjewishlearning.com, and then look up Song of Songs, and you can see the, the, the viewpoints and thoughts there. But it just, once you start looking at this, it makes sense why the Song of Songs would be connected to the Passover when they were coming out of Egypt. If you think about God sending Moses, delivering the children of Israel, it was like a prince in shining armor coming and delivering the princess out of the castle of the dragon or out of the castle of a villain. The villain being the pharaoh, the princess being the Jewish people, and God being the prince. So there is this fairy tale, there is this amazing story, this, this story that we as humans like to think about, this idea of someone being rescued. And you maybe never have thought about it that in connection with Song of Solomon. But it is there, and we'll look at it as we go on. But they do see, but modern Jews, many of them do see the metaphor, just as we Christians do, of the Jewish people and God in the story given in Song of Solomon. Turn with me to Ephesians Sorry, I missed, yeah, my head not being clear this morning. I did miss a few things here. Let's go back. Song of Solomon. Turn with me to Song of Solomon chapter 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, 
Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine, because the savor of thy good anointments, thy name is an ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. I, looking at these verses, especially verse 6 there, it talks about being keeping other people's vineyards instead of their own. And we think of the Jewish people in Egypt when they were held there as slaves. They were forced to build other people's cities. They were forced to build pyramids, whatever. There were many things they were forced to do as slaves. And they were not able to keep their own vineyards, but were forced. And so we see there a similarity. Then we go to chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lilies among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. His fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay with me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up, nor wake my love, till he please. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind her wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers <clears throat> appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. This idea is given twice, in verse 10 and in verse 13 of coming away. And that's what God did with the Jewish people out of Egypt. He called them away from their slavery, from their pain, their suffering, to come to follow him. And so we see that beautiful story, the metaphor there of God's love for his people. I'm sure many of them in their slavery had long given up that God would ever be able to do anything for them. But because he loved him, loved the Jewish people, his, his wife, his bride or whatever, he hadn't forgot about them. He loved them. Interesting thing that the Jewish writer also said was that Judaism rejects the notion that God could assume human form and making images of God at all. And we can understand why. We look in the Ten Commandments and it clearly says that they're not supposed to make graven images in all that. The interesting thing I thought about when looking at that was they say that and yet they also are looking for a Messiah. But it makes sense 
when you think about why they reject Jesus, the fact that he came in human form and they struggle with that idea. So let's think of thinking, concluding the idea of the idea that Jews do view Song of Solomon just the same way we do. What is there for us to learn from Song of Solomon today? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There, there are some comparisons that maybe you could make with Song of Solomon thinking of putting Jesus in the metaphor of Solomon and the church in the metaphor of his, the woman he loved, but yet I don't think there's, there's many reasons for that not to really work. That doesn't mean that God does not love us. I believe there's a much more clear story in the Old Testament that depicts Christ's love than for the church. And that's the story of Ruth. We're not going to have time to look at that this morning, but does that mean that God doesn't love us as Gentile believers as much as he loves the Jewish people? And I don't think that's a true way to look at it. I don't think that... It's about how much he loves us. But I definitely think there's a difference in how God loves the Jewish people than he loves us today. Not in quantity, but in form and what he expects. And so we need to be careful that we shouldn't try to put ourselves into that story too much. But at the same time, what I get from it, what I am strengthened and encouraged by in looking at Song of Solomon and the story there is how much God loves his people. And in the same way, I understand how much Christ loves the church, loves me. Sounds like I'm separating God from Jesus. No, they're one. But yet, there is a difference in relationship. God with his people, Jews, is similar in some ways than with Jesus, with the church. Just want to read a few more passages from Song of Solomon, um, Song of Solomon, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to go quickly because of time. It says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. And it's warning about allowing things to come between this husband and wife and their relationship. And that's true for us and God, with us and Christ. There are things that may seem insignificant that can ruin our relationship, but they can ruin our relationship even though they seem small. They even may seem cute, but they can be detrimental to our relationship with God. And then the next verse, um, forgot to have it here, but Verse 16 is right there too. My beloved is mine and I am his. 
he feedeth among the lilies. It speaks of this close, close relationship that I don't believe most Jewish people ever completely understood or experienced. And I think many Christians today maybe don't desire it, don't also don't experience. Do we have that close relationship with Christ where he can say he is my beloved, that we truly love him and want an intimacy, a closeness of knowing him? I hope we do. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Verses 37 through 39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that intense love and closeness that you see in reading through Song of Solomon is true for us today. As it says here, it comes through Christ. But God loves each one of us. Song of Solomon 3 verse 5 says, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awake my love till he please to me this speaks of God's timing are we willing to wait on him are we willing to trust him for when he's going to come it took hundreds of years for God to come to Egypt and deliver the children of Israel but he did come he didn't forget them sometimes God's timing isn't quite ours Song of Solomon I'm going to turn there, Song of Solomon, chapter 10. Sorry, chapter 7. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field, let us lodge in the villages. Just as God never forsake the Jewish people, no matter even if he sent them into captivity, he always went with them. And Jesus does the same for us today. He goes with us, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're at. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 to 7, Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for, that, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which have a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. God has made a covenant, God made a covenant with the Jewish people, and he still is not broken it to this day. Even though the Jewish people have rejected him many times. 
And that to me is encouraging to know that God does not change. He does not break his covenants. Christ made a covenant with us when he died on the cross with shedding his blood. He will not break that covenant, that promise to be with us, to save us if we call upon him. The last passage I want to read is in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. And then it goes on to talk about that we're not servants, but we're actually children of God. God loved us so much, as it mentions here, that he sent. It said, if a friend lays down his life, what greater love is that? Jesus came and laid down his life for us. So I hope we know and feel that love today. No, but no matter where you're at today, I hope that you can continue to grow in your relationship with God. Continue to have a desire to know him better for your relationship to him to strengthen Tomorrow starts our revival meetings, and I don't think there's any one of us here that won't find something next week for us to grow in, to learn, and to be challenged. The Lord bless each one of you.